0: you more than you would like to admit. It shapes how you feel, it impacts how you think, and it drives your behavior. But I'm not talking here about fear in general. You know, the kind of fear that my daughter Grace used to have with dogs, that basically when she saw a dog, she would dart in the opposite direction, even if that was onto the middle of a road. I'm talking about the kind of fear that Kind of just impacts the way that you feel about your acceptance, security, and assurance with God. The kind of fear that you have that makes you question whether or not you are truly a follower of Jesus. The kind of fear that you have that makes you wonder if God truly loves you. The kind of fear that you have that when you sin, it makes you question and doubt whether or not God will forgive you again. The kind of fear that you have, that that even though you know the truth, that you're no longer a slave to sin, that you're no longer under the law, that there is no longer any condemnation for you, and that you have the Spirit of God living within you, that you still have a fear that God is maybe just angry with you. And that possibly one day he will change his mind. A fear that makes you question whether or not you are loved and accepted, and if you will make it to the end of the Christian life. Fear impacts you more than you would like to admit. Sometimes it's fleeting. At other times, it's just downright frightening. So what I want to do today is slow down a bit and Romans eight and zoom in on one of the most mind-blowing passages, I think, and the most crazy reality of the Christian. And underline something that God wants you to hear today. That you, when you received Christ Jesus by faith, that you didn't receive a spirit of slavery that leads you into fear, but a spirit of adoption that makes you a child of God and you can call him Father. A truth and reality that ought to shape how we approach and live out the Christian life. So let's get into verse 14 straight up where we see that we are sons. For all those who are led by the Spirit of God or led by God's Spirit are the children of God or are sons of God. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I find it crazy enough, right, that Paul tells us in Romans that, that as we are people who put our trust in Jesus, that that means that we are no longer under the wrath of God that our sin was paid for in full by the atoning sacrifice of God's own Son, Jesus, that in Christ we are declared righteous before God and justified just as if we had never sinned, that there is now no condemnation for us if we have put our trust in Jesus. I find all of that absolutely mind-blowing. And if that wasn't crazy enough, if that wasn't an awesome reality for the Christian already, here we get another idea that just seems to blow the top right off. The idea of being a son. It's an idea that actually moves us from a feeling of a legal and transactional reality to something that is relational and personal. And In fact, it's this idea of being a son of God that is at the very heart of the Christian life, which is why J.I. Packer is famed for saying that it is the highest blessing of the Christian that you are saved to be a son. Now, the idea of being a son seems quite exclusive and sexist even, doesn't it? And you might wonder why I've chosen to say son and not child like in the NIV version. Well, it's not because I wanna be controversial. It's not even because I don't think that we can say child because I do believe that we can read this as son or daughter or child to a point, and that's the way that we'll go on to apply it later on. But Paul's being very specific about his wording here, and the word that he uses is son, which helps us grasp some very important things when we think about this relationship that we have with God. Now, he does use the word children. He uses them in verse 16 and 17, but he's very specific not to use the word child here. He uses the word son, and the question is why? Well, it's because he wants to highlight something of this relationship that we now have and the benefits of it. You see, in Paul's time, it was the son, and in particular, the firstborn son, who in many ways would be the most prized person in the family, and as such, he would receive the inheritance. Like back then, being a child was one thing, but being a son was next level. But I also think that it echoes here something of how God refers to Israel. And I'm sure we'll be doing Israel this again at some Old point this, uh, in the future. You know, in so, Exodus four. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for Israel tuning in, and I'll see you next time. as a firstborn son. As the people who hold a special place in God's heart, they are the ones who God revealed himself to as Yahweh. They are the ones that received blessing, protection, love, and provision. And then you have the kings, and in particular, King David, who is referred to as a son of God, the king after God's own heart. The one who penned words in the Psalms that show us that being a son of God is about a deep, intimate relationship with our Creator. A relationship with the powerful, loving, and forgiving God. In fact, it is with Israel that God's presence presides. And it is only within the kings that his spirit lives, or prophets, priests, and kings, that his spirit lives in the Old Testament. But the thing that I reckon that blows me away even more is that ultimately it is Jesus who is the Son of God, the Son of God. And where it would be a mistake to think that Paul is meaning here that somehow we are on par as gods ourselves it's just absolutely crazy, isn't it, to think that the same relational category that is used for Jesus, the God-man, the second person of the Trinity, the one who saved the world is somehow used for us, for you, if you are in Christ Jesus. Like, just think about that for a second. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a son of And notice that it doesn't say there that you will be a son. It's not might be a son, but you are a son. That is something that describes the relational status that you have with God right now, that somehow because of Jesus through the spirit that you're captured up into a relationship with God that is akin to the relationship between God the Father and God the Son a relationship that is one of complete and perfect love and devotion a relationship where Jesus knew his father and his father knew him where he trusted and followed his word where he could trust him even though he walked through Gethsemane and onto the cross. A love and relationship that has been there for all of eternity. We are somehow captured up into that. But the thing is, this sonship, this love, acceptance, belonging, provision, and protection that you receive as a son unlike Jesus, was not your status by nature, which is something that we actually really need to get. And we're going to grasp how awesome and um, this uh, adoption is. It was something that you didn't receive by nature. In fact, Paul in Ephesians 2 suggests that prior to putting our trust in Jesus, that we actually were children of wrath. Or in Romans 5, that we belong to a completely different family line, that of Adam rather than Christ. And because of that, that we were children who were enslaved to sin that leads to death. And the only thing that could have freed us from that was Jesus who paid the price so that we might receive the spirit of adoption. That This is what needs to happen. If we are to be called children of God, we need to be adopted into the family of God to receive the full rights and privileges of sonship. But that doesn't happen because you were the best kid, or maybe just not quite as bad as the worst kid, or that you showed some potential in the orphanage. No, no, it happened because God chose to love you. Listen how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure And will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has given freely to us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Isn't that remarkable? And and did you notice the language there? He did that because of love. Because it pleased him. Because of his grace that he lavished upon you to save you, to be a son. And that means like Jesus, the son of God, you can refer to him not as God, not as the Holy One, not as the Almighty, not as Yahweh, not as Adonai. As good as all of those names and titles of God are, you can call him father. God is no longer distant if you are his son. If you are one of his children through Christ, then he is present, personal, and paternal. You know, literally, as I was writing that sentence, um, my youngest daughter, Ava, came in and she interrupted me, and she just came in and looked at me and smiled, and she put her head on my chest. And she just stayed there for a moment, saying nothing. And then she looked at me and said, I love you, dad, and smiled and then just walked away again. That is just a small, small picture of what it means for you in Christ. The only thing is, God is a far better dad than even the best dad that we can think of. And if you're in Christ, then He is your dad, and He has given you the adoption papers when He gave you His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the sign and the, the seal that the adoption has been through, and it will find its ultimate fruition and glory. There are no options. There are no return clauses. It's permanent and eternal. In fact, God wants you to know that this is the case, which is why the Holy Spirit even testifies with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. Did you see that? And and he does that through his word. He does that through the times that you spend in prayer and reflection in God. He does that through the community of God's people in the church as they show his love to you and point you to him in and through his word. He does that at times through supernatural peace in tough situations. But the thing is, this is not always your experience as a Christian, is it? Fear shapes our thinking and behavior more than we would like to admit. Why? Well, I think we get a hint of it in the beginning of verse 14. You see, Paul has changed his language as he's went on he's went from using language of saying that we are in Christ or of the spirit and here and he uses this phrase of all of those who are led by god's spirit now he's not talking about guidance here you know where the holy spirit leads us in a particular direction or decision where i think he does that that's not what's on view In the context, the mark of the Christian or the evidence that we have accepted Jesus by faith is that we live according to the Spirit, that by the power of the Spirit, we are setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. We read that last week, that we are producing the fruit of the Spirit, And and as we just look back to the verse before in verse 13, we see that it entails that we are actively putting to death the deeds of the body and fighting sin. Not that we do those things to become God's children, but because we are God's children. You see, because we've been adopted and, and accepted into this family, we should reflect the family that we're part of. I once knew a family who adopted a beautiful boy, probably around about the age of four or five, and he had come from a pretty tough context. And they brought him in, they lavished love on him, they showed a commitment to him and made him see that their commitment to him was long term. It wasn't going to wane, it wasn't going to fade. And at first, and even though he was adopted um, or even though he was loved and whatever, it was still kind of pretty clear that he wasn't their kid. He wasn't really acting and functioning as though he was part of the family. In fact, many of the things that he did and said and the way that he acted was just completely different to them, which was, of course, to be expected. But over time, that child started to look and sound like he was part of the family because he was accepted because he was loved, because he belonged to the Smith family, it started to show. He actually wanted to start to please his parents, not to gain their approval, but because he already had it. And after a while, you couldn't have made any difference. You just looked at him and you went, he is part of that family. And as Christians who are adopted into the family of God, we should look like we are part of the family. And a sign that kind of tells us that we are part of the family is that we are led by the Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit and to put off sin. And one of the reasons I think that we fall back into fear and question our adoption status is where where it kind of feels like the Holy Spirit isn't telling us that we are God's children is because we are not being led by the Spirit. Sometimes it's because we have unrepentant sin and Satan uses that to testify to us that we are not one of God's children and that leads us to isolate ourselves from God and not bring our things to Him and instead we stay away. Even before we get there though, I think that often and what happens is that we do not nurture our relationship with our Father through the Spirit. You know, we're very good within our circles of church at picking up on the legal and forensic aspects of our salvation, that there is no legal condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. But here, here it's the relational aspect. This is actually at the center of the Christian life. And and we get so entangled often in thinking that this is about rules, And we actually just forget that at its core, it's all about relationship. Mez McConnell, um, a guy who started an organization called Church in Hard Places, uh, wrote a book just simply called War, Why the Christian Life Just Suddenly Got Harder. And he describes the experience of a Christian who um, is just not kind of feeling it. They're just not feeling the way that they used to. They want more. They are disillusioned and disgruntled that that God isn't showing up for them in the way that he did. And he simply says, if we are not feeling it, we are not doing it. If we are not feeling it, we are not doing it. Which at first when I read it, I went, man, that's a bit harsh. But when I reflected on my own experience, sadly, I saw that that was true. Certainly of me. If I wasn't feeling it, it wasn't because God, my Father, was just not there. If you're not feeling it, it's not that there's somehow a reluctance from God towards you, it's because It's not because God is not there willing to receive you with with open arms. It's not because God has somehow given up on us and given you less of the Spirit. It's not because somehow when you come to Him that He's just not there and that He has tapped out. No, it's because we're not doing it. We're actually not nurturing our relationship with Him. We're not spending time hearing His truths that actually shape us. Like for sure. Maybe we do for 30 minutes on a Sunday. But but imagine that that's what I did in my relationship with my wife, Kathra. It wouldn't take very long, would it? Before I just started not feeling it. Now, I'm not saying this just to say, you know what, you need to get in your quiet times, read your Bible, pray, fight sin, go to church. You do need to do that. Like be led by the Spirit, because that is who you are. But don't do that out of fear. Fear that somehow that you need to do it to keep your adoption papers. But do it because you are a son, a daughter, a child. Fight your sin. Nurture the Spirit. And know that you can do that not doing it in such a way that means that you can then call God Father, but that you can actually do this whilst you call God Father. Because you see, you already are a son. That status of sonship is already yours. In fact, I want to say to you that even in the midst of your deepest, darkest sin, that you can come straight to him. You can rest your head on his chest and you can say, Father, I'm sorry, forgive me, and he will not cast you away. Not today, not tomorrow, not next week, not in your final year of life. You know, when we do this, and and this is not our response to this truth, it's so easy for us to fall into fear, isn't it? And for some of you, it might just be that your fear and your acceptance and your security in God is just simply down to the fact that you are not nurturing your relationship with Him. But establish that is not the spirit that you received when you received Christ. You received the spirit of adoption by whom you can cry out, Abba, Father. And where it might be that that you're sometimes stricken by fear, not feeling it, or worried about the security and the reality of your faith, the reality is that there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Will it be hard? Absolutely, it's hard. In fact, I think that the suffering mentioned in verse 17 is a suffering that we experience as we put to death sin in our lives. The, the suffering that we get through temptation and, and resisting temptation in our lives, the trust, the the, the suffering um, that is an ongoing battle. The language that is used for cutting off and putting to death is language that just feels like it will hurt, doesn't it? But we ought to expect that if the Son of God would suffer, that us sons of God would also suffer. And in fact, sometimes in the suffering and in the struggle, this is some of the greatest moments of confirmation that we have that this is who we truly are. It is often in those spaces that actually the Holy Spirit is committed to growing you to be more like Jesus. And the promise we have is that if we suffer with Him, we will also be glorified with Him. That is, we will one day be with him. We will one day fully realize the status of our adoption. We will one day be fully free from feelings of fear. We will one day no longer have to battle our sin. We will one day receive fully the benefits of being God's children where we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And in the meantime, we're to live in the reality of our adoption led by the Spirit, calling God Father in the knowledge that it is from within the safety and security and assurance of this relationship that we fight sin and that we live out the Christian life. Come to God daily. Come to Him repeatedly. Practice what it is to come in repentance and faith. Serve Him and follow Him. Keep going because you have this spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, living and active within you. Let me pray. Father, Father, how awesome is it that we can even call you that, that we can come into your presence, in fact, that we can have your presence living within us through your spirit We thank you so much. We thank you, Father, that um, because of your son, Jesus, that we can trust you with the outcome of our salvation, that we can experience the benefits of what it is to be adopted into your eternal family right now. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you help us to keep on being led by you, where we will put to death, sin in our lives and where we would be pleased to listen to your word and to follow it and where we would more and more as we walk with you look as though we are part of this heavenly family for your glory amen